All right. Um, good morning again. Um, if you have your Bibles, um, turn to Isaiah 40. I know that says Luke 2 up there, um, but sometimes when we wake up and start looking through things, things change. Um, so, um, and now that it completed, just we're going backwards from what I had planned. So, um, you still need to find Luke 2, but we'll just end there instead of beginning there, just to, to let you know where you can expect to be going. Um, then, as we've been looking through our, our time here in Advent, we've, we've been trying to look at it in a sense of, why is Jesus so important? Why is he <clears throat> so magnificent? What is, what is so special about Christ that when we, when we look at him, we see a change in us? That, that when we look at him, we understand why we think this is more than just a, a good time to celebrate and give gifts by claiming a, another holiday. And, and also looking at the understanding that, that this is the one chance that we get to have a religious understanding in a holiday at the same time you have a secular world trying to grasp the same thing. And so it's important then to distinguish between those because so often in our culture today, there's, there's a blur between what we would consider orthodox Christian understanding of who Christ is and how we're supposed to live, and then what culture says who Jesus is as a person, and then how we're supposed to live out of that. And so it, it's healthy to look at Christ, put him on display, and see how he stands above everyone else, meaning other people within that. And so that's what we've been trying to do as we've looked through the traditional themes, hope, love, joy, and today we pick up the understanding of peace, but we, but we see that, that our peace leads or fuels our response to Jesus. And so when we look at him, we, we understand who he is, and then that creates a response in us because of the peace that we find in Christ alone. And so it's fitting that we end with a response because we hear who he is, we see who he is, we've celebrated these four weeks now of Christ's coming, and now is our chance to respond to who he is, and it's the peace that he gives us that allows us to respond. So if you will, um, follow along as we read Isaiah chapter 40, and and we're going to read verses um, 21 through 28, and and so then we'll we'll go from there, and I'll explain um, why we switched it backwards um, to begin with. So in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 21, it says, do you not know? Do you not hear that he has not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, And they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I shall be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. If you will, pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we thank you that you love us so much that you've given us your truth. God, and we just pray that, that as you continue to open your truth, that our hearts would be receptive. God, that we would tune out the distractions of a joyful and chaotic holiday season and simply gaze upon your son. And we just thank you that, that you love us so much that you gave him to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And so, if you notice the description there, you can, you can understand why I think we need to start with who Christ is before we get to the response. Because if we go to Luke chapter 2, and we see where we are as progressing in the narrative of Christ's birth, then, then we begin with a response, but why? Why do we respond? And that's why Isaiah 40 is critical to our understanding, because it puts Christ on display. I mean, you can, you can see... And even in just verse 25, to whom then will you compare me? And so God's saying that, that you can try, but, but to whom are you going to actually compare me to that they might somehow stand equal or overshadow me? And so if we understand who Christ is, then, then what I would submit to you today that our, our peace-fueled response is actually going to be a peace-fueled worship, that we see who Christ is and we worship because of his identity, because of who he is, because of his character that has nothing to do with our feelings within ourselves or our circumstances. And I, and I know that that seems crazy, but I know that, that so often many of us find our lives out of control, that, that we find circumstances and we don't think that peace is possible. And, and remember, as we move forward, every, when we say peace, we're talking just this general peace that there's no war. We're talking peace as in satisfaction, as in contentment with who we are in our lives, or peace within the turmoil or the war within us as we have a body driven to sin, yet a heart longing to know Christ. It doesn't come natural to feel peace in our lives. And, and, and I understand this probably more this week than I have in the past. And you, you might have seen on Facebook the Friday morning that, that Lindsay and I found out that we had a, a good college friend that was just murdered, sensely killed, no reason at all. Like 15 minutes before, he posted about going to his son's Christmas party. And it's like, so you look at that and you think that, that how is their peace capable? How can we not have turmoil within us? Because if we're honest, stuff like that just makes you mad. Like, how dare someone be selfish enough to sensely end someone's life for no apparent motive other than a selfish action? And then Saturday evening, Lindsay and I found um, out about a, a, a dear friend of ours or uh, just a, a great woman of faith who lost her battle with cancer. And it's like, so how can you peace then even just in the reality of our body so frail and so broken that we can't overcome, even with modern medicine, certain illnesses. And so as we're, we're looking at this, and I'm trying to figure this out, my, my life and my, my mind says the peace, it's not possible. There's always this turmoil. And then I see stuff like Isaiah 40, and it says, who can you compare me to? 
that do you not know? Like verse 28, I feel like speaking into my heart. And if you're in the same circumstances, whatever's happening in your life that seems out of control, then, then look at the words of verse 28 again. Have you not known and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And he does not faint. He does not grow weary. And so what Isaiah verse uh, chapter 40 verse 28 is doing is giving us basically a breakdown, uh, um, a breakdown of some categories of God's character that he just described as who he is. And so it's important to look at that understanding first because that will fuel our response. And so when we look at who God is, when we look at who Jesus is, the Lord is the everlasting God. That This passage gives us the character, but it also shows us why it's just Christ alone that we need for peace. It shows us why we need to not look anywhere else but Christ. Even in the chaos of our lives, peace is possible. We can be content and we can be satisfied and we can be okay with what's happening because we know that we have Christ alone who provides peace. Because why? Because he's the everlasting God. That he's always existed. And, and, and right there we have to understand that, that there's been people throughout history, particularly the heresy that we, we know as Arianism, that says that, that no, Jesus was created. That at some point he was a created being, that he wasn't existent. And, and that's been pushed out as heresy since at least 325, the Council of Nicaea. And, and, but what we have to understand is he's the everlasting God. You get that in John 1, 1. You get that in Ephesians 1, that before the foundation of the world, that we're chosen in him. And so when he's the everlasting God, then all of a sudden we realize that his time span isn't fitting with ours because he's outside of time. Therefore, when the world seems crazy, we can latch on to peace in him because he transcends this world. And, and that brings us to this ability to understand that, that when we look at the birth of Christ, what we actually have happening is the everlasting God who exists outside of time, stepping into our time on our behalf. So that he's always existed, yet he took a moment and stepped into our time for us. And so what we have to then do is realize that those 33 so years that he lived on this earth don't so much define who he is they define who we are in him. Because in the birth leading to the life and the death and resurrection of Christ, we get to see who we are in him. We get to see the life that we were supposed to live lived for us. And that brings this peace to our understanding of what's happening in our lives without worrying about what's going on next, that we can be satisfied, we can be content, we can understand when tragedy strikes why we can still have peace? Because the everlasting God stepped into our time for us, not because we deserved it. And there's nothing in the world that can shake you when you have that understanding that the God that created everything stepped into your time. And that's where he goes next. Right? He's the everlasting God. But not only is he everlasting, not only is he everywhere, but Jesus is the creator of the ends of the earth. And so it just adds on another level of just an understanding or a calmness or a peace within our unity with Christ when we see that not only is he everlasting and stepped into our time for us, not because we deserved it, but he stepped into his own creation that he had created, that we messed up, he entered on our behalf. 
And that allows us then to understand that we can have peace, that God that spoke creation into being, entered it for us. Entered it so that we might be reconciled to him when we were the offenders. And the problem that I, that I think we have and what concerns me about the church in general is we have so many people that would call themselves faithful Bible-believing Christians that are looking for peace and they waste so much of their life looking for peace, looking for meaning and purpose in all the different activities that this world provides instead of the creator of the world. And when we look at the creator of the universe, we look at Christ stepping into our world for us, it gives us a peace that transcends the activities of this because we go to the creator. But so often... We never understand our purpose because we don't realize that the peace we're all seeking, the meaning we're all seeking, the purpose that we're all seeking in our life is not found in who we are, but in who he is. And, and it, it makes me think of the, the conversation that, that Lindsay and Kelby had the other night, um, just trying to wrap her little mind around, and I love that, that children ask questions, and, and just trying to figure out, so if everything's chaos, why did God create us? And it was so amazing that, that, that Lindsay and her could have a conversation about one of the questions, the catechism that they do in the children's. And, and while Kelby doesn't understand the answer exactly, and while she doesn't know it word for word, she knows the gist of it. And what it did was it allowed a conversation to happen about why God is good, about what the purpose of our life is here. Because really, that's what needs to happen. That, that, that we need to be telling others, we need to be telling the generation that's coming after us that, that there is a purpose for God creating us, that he stepped into creation, that he gives us purpose, and that purpose is fueled with the peace that comes from him alone. That it doesn't matter when the world seems chaotic and you can't rationalize what's happening because Christ is secure, that he is stable, that he is constant. And so if the, the creator of the universe coming to us doesn't produce peace, then this sin-fractured world certainly cannot. But so many times we find ourselves captivated by the things that he has created instead of himself. And that's why we need parents that teach their children. That's why we need one generation teaching the next generation. I was, I was watching a video this week on Facebook, which just makes me normal, I guess, because that's pretty much all we do. It was a, a, a clip from a sermon from Matt Chandler, and at one point he said um, that half-hearted obedience in this generation leads to full-on rebellion in the next. And it just hit me because it's, you know, because that means that, that how I'm teaching my children now is going to determine to some extent the level of how they relate to Christ. And that if I'm looking at their life, if I'm looking at the life and the activities that this world offers, and I'm celebrating the activities of the world because of what they can do and what they can accomplish and how I can celebrate with them, even if I find my identity in their accomplishments, what I'm teaching them is that the peace and the purpose of their life is found in activities, not in the Creator. And that's going to lead them then to some point to be drawn away and enticed by the world because they don't know to find contentment in Christ alone that they think they have to go out and find it. And so we need a generation of parents who actually parent their kids. We need mature believers teaching less mature believers 
It doesn't have to be a parent-child. It can be a, a mentor-mentee. That if you're more mature in your faith and you're not teaching those who are not, then what are you doing? That we cannot offer a child or we cannot offer someone else a way to try to find peace that's outside of being satisfied in Christ alone. Otherwise, they're never going to achieve it. They're going to keep thinking they have to perform and they're going to keep falling further and further away. And at one day, they're going to look back and say, the church failed me. And if that's what's happened, then it has. But if we look at the Creator, that if we see, have you not known, if we teach them that, have you not heard that He's the everlasting God, He's the Creator of the ends of the earth, yet He stepped into our existence for us, not because we deserved it, then it doesn't matter what life happens. Then it doesn't matter what chaos is ensuing in the world, because we know that He transcends this world, and despite everything, He's constant. We have to be willing to actually teach. We have to be willing to invest in other people's lives if we're ever going to build a community that's satisfied in Christ alone. And that's what Isaiah is pointing us to. That's why this whole chapter, if you look at Isaiah 40, if you have this, it's comfort for God's people. Why is it comfort? Because God is the everlasting God, the creator of everything, yet he comes to us. Not because we deserved it. And not only is he the creator, but what? He does not faint or grow weary. Right? And so not only is he the creator stepping to our existence, not only is he the everlasting God outside of time as we know it, stepping into our time so that we might be united with him, reconciled to his father, that he doesn't grow faint or weary. And so how many, think about it, how many of you tired this morning? Right? Let's be honest. I'm tired. I stayed up too late and then I woke up too early. And then you're just tired. And then if it's anything normal like this, that you have so many things to do for Christmas, that you're like, how am I going to do everything? You're just tired thinking about your to-do list, and you haven't even started it. right? And so what we do then is we take that understanding of our limitations, and we somehow place it on Christ, and then act like we have to help him help us, that, that, that he can't sustain us. And so what helps us keep going on in our lives is to realize that Christ's energy, Christ's ability doesn't come to an end. It doesn't decrease. And that gives us this understanding that there is a possibility to have peace in Christ alone because he's not going to grow tired carrying you every single time you mess up. That it's his strength that sustains us. But I fear many of us forget that that we so have created this image of God as a person that we believe that he's bound by our limitations instead of transcending them. It's not the case with Christ. He does not grow weary. Because of that, we realize that peace and contentment are only received when we seek it in Christ alone. It's not in all the things that we can do. It's not in trying to work a little harder. It's not in being satisfied. It's being satisfied in Him. It's not just content in our lives. It's content in the lives that He has given us because He is Creator and Lord. And so when we understand that, we realize that no matter what happens, that He can carry us continually through the hard times. And so when I think about my friend Landon and his three boys, 
that I have to understand, even though I can't understand what they're going through, and I, can't, I don't understand that, but what I have to know is that Christ will not grow weary in continually carrying them through this difficult time, that he's not going to grow faint and not be able to do it, that he can sustain us even when we're continually needy. Even when, it's like, you think if you're, if you're a parent, you'll get this, because you're, there's so many times you say the same thing to your children, right? Over and over again, you just get tired. You're like, I don't want you to say it anymore, I'm just going to gripe at you now. He doesn't get to that point. He carries us, he sustains us, he fulfills us continually when we're empty. So that when world is chaos, when your life is out of whack, and everything seems to be going crazy, you can constantly and continually be fulfilled in Christ because he does not grow weary. That he continually lights our dark paths because he is the light of the world. That he will not leave us or forsake us because it's not in his character to do either. And so as we look at this understanding of who we are, we have to realize that Christ does not grow tired, that he can continually sustain us. There's nothing that he didn't know would happen in our lives, and there's nothing that he cannot continually sustain us through, and that gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And that allows us then to understand why we can then continue. And that's what's interesting if you look at the end of verse of chapter 40. If you look at um, verse 31 of Isaiah 40, it says, But they will wait for the Lord, they shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up on wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. But it's an amazing verse, right? Especially when you put it in the context that it's not talking about us being able to conquer anything because he gives that. Because it's talking about that he's the one that renews us. That he's the one that gives us the strength. He's the reason that we don't grow faint because he sustains us that he satisfies us. And so what do we do? How do we pull ourselves out of that? We remember all the times past that he's been faithful, that if you find yourself in this spiritual darkness, if you find yourself not being able to go to him because you just feel ashamed or you failed, what do you do? You remember the times that he's been faithful. And if you have never experienced that yourself, then you look at someone that you know and you see how he's sustained them through something difficult. And you realize that that God is the same God that you have and he does not grow faint and he's not weary of sustaining his people. So what should our proper then response be? That's where we go to Luke 2. So flip with me to Luke 2 or scroll if you want to, if that's your mode of transportation. Look at verse 2 and we see our, or Luke chapter 2, and we see what our proper response is then to understanding that God is the everlasting God, that Christ is the everlasting God, that Christ is the creator of the ends of the earth, and that he does not grow faint or weary. So then when we see that Christ born to us, given to us, not because we deserve it, but because the Father is full of love, then what happens is we realize that our response then is a peace that comes from Christ, being satisfied in Christ, and the response then is a peace-fueled worship to him because of what he's done for us. If you look at Luke chapter 2, we're going we're to read verses 25 through um, 33. And so just to kind of set the context here, we're a little past the past the birth. So we've moved past the birth. We've kind of skipped that part, which I know might seem weird, but you'll understand. And then Jesus is being presented at the temple, and we meet this guy named Simeon. 
Okay? And so in, in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took, him, he took up in his arms, took him up in his arms, and blessed God and said, now here's his response. Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that they have prepared and that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were marveled at what was said about him. And see, if you look at this understanding of how Simeon responded, then you can see that when we see Christ just as he did, then our response is the same. That he had this peaceful fulfilling that led to worship. Because why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. So when we see Christ born, we see salvation possible, redemption achieved, and applied to us. And that leads to worship because we do not deserve it. And so peace then comes through the response of worship, but how do we get there? How do we allow ourselves, or how are we actually going to respond in worship? We have the Spirit to help us. That's what's key about verses 25, 26, and 27. The end of 25, and the Holy Spirit was on him. See, it was the Spirit empowering Simeon to see who Christ was just as the Spirit empowers us to see who Christ is. That he went to the temple as the Spirit led. And so if we're going to have a peace-fueled worship and a peace-fueled response to who Christ is, as we look at his character on display, that he is incomparable to anyone else, that we have to have the Spirit in our lives to do so. That we cannot manufacture a peaceful response. That we cannot manufacture contentment that leads to worship. It's given to us through the Holy Spirit. Because if we're left on our own, then we become the hero of our story. It takes the Spirit to then put us in our place, elevate Christ, and then realize that we're elevated with Him. So it's through the Holy Spirit power that we have this proper response to seeing Christ's character on display. But it also comes from actually seeing Christ. Right? If you look at that, it's when He saw the child. Right? He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. So when he saw Jesus walk in, he knew that he was going to see the Lord's Christ, the Savior of the world, before he died. And when he saw Jesus through the power of the Spirit, he sees that come true. And so he departs in peace. Why? Because he's seen salvation. That I've seen the salvation of the Lord. I've seen your salvation. So when we see Christ, we can't look at his birth without looking at his death and resurrection. The, the, the way I saw it um, this week, someone had, had tweeted about that he didn't come, he wasn't born to create a holiday. That You can't look at the birth of Christ without looking at the death and resurrection. Otherwise, it means nothing. We have to see Christ. And when we see Christ and we look at who he is given to us, that he was born into the world, what? So that we might be saved. That leads to worship because we didn't deserve it. And so we then can depart in peace so that we can then come to this place, gather together, worship, and then continually worship as we remind ourselves who Christ is because the only way to know who Christ is is to continually seek him. 
So we study the Word. We devote time. We might actually be crazy enough to rearrange our priorities so that we prioritize studying God's Word over anything else. And I really think that we're... I want to feel like that we're one of the first generations that have that problem, but I don't think so because we are all human and we have been forever. But it's a conscious choice to see Christ in this world. You have to make a choice to prioritize time to seek the Lord. And it doesn't matter how much I tell you to do that. It doesn't matter how much anyone else tells you to do that. You have to choose. You have to decide that, that seeing Christ is worth more than this world because he's the creator of this world. And that's when the prompt response of worship happens. As we see Christ and we realize more and more how sinful we are and more and more how righteous and glorified he is, it just leads to more and more worship. Why? Because he saved us when we didn't deserve it. That he bridged the gap. That he lived the life that we were supposed to live. And that's exactly what happens. Is, is Worship is always the response to meeting Christ. Simeon did it. If you go back to verse 13, right after the shepherds had heard what was happening, what does verse 13 say? And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. It was worship. They said, he's been born, the savior of the world. And then what happens? Worship. And so if we see Christ, then our only proper response is worship. And then when we're filled with worship, we have to have contentment and peace in our lives because then we know that he is everything that we need when life is chaotic. So what we learn from the angels in Simeon is that the peace that flows from Christ to us fuels our worship that returns to him. It's not that we just worship because we want to. It's we worship in response to seeing who Christ is. And we see him high and lifted up. But the problem is that we always try to find our own peace. That we hear that, we see that, and then we're captivated by the things that is created. So it's not that, that peace cannot be found. It's that we misplace our worship. That we try to find peace and direct our worship to idols instead of Christ. And so when we don't look at Christ as the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the world, then peace is not going to be found. So if you're looking for that now, and you're looking at this season, we see Christ born to us, and it's an amazing story of a Savior given to us, if you're trying to find peace outside of Him, then it's always going to let you down. Because there's nothing a sinful world can provide for you that is more sustaining than Christ Himself. And so what do you do? You repent. Because it's sin to place your worship in idols. So you repent and you stop seeking peace. You stop seeking the purpose of your life that you find in peace through Christ in your relationships or in your success, in your adventures, in your health and fitness. You stop doing all of those things to give you your identity and you rest with your identity in Christ alone. And then everything else becomes good. Right? Our, our relationship success, having all these adventures, living life outside, and all that is good, but they're not your savior. And until we rearrange that properly, we're always going to be left wanting. We're going to be in a season that's supposed to provide hope, but doesn't because we're not finding it in Christ. We're finding it in everything that he's provided. And so we seek after Jesus. 
We constantly remind ourselves that he is where we find peace that sustains us because he is the only thing that can sustain anything in this world, in our lives. And then that peace will overflow into worship that will glorify God's name. So why did we, why were we created? He created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. That's the answer the kids are learning. And we glorify God when we properly worship and as a response to seeing his son. And when we do that, when we see Christ for who he is this season, when we celebrate tonight or in the morning, whenever you do as your family, if Christ is the center of everything, then your response is going to match Simeon's. And our message will be the same as the angels, the glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he's pleased. And then it won't matter what happens in life because we are united with the one who transcends everything. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that in a season that, that drives us to a consumeristic mindset, God, I just pray <coughs> that we would be people not approaching your son as a commodity to grasp, but as a savior to behold. God, that we would truly remind ourselves and teach others, our children, our friends, our family, that have we not known that your son, Jesus Christ, is indeed the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who does not grow faint or weary. And I just pray that on the tip of our tongues and the desires of our hearts would be captivated with words that respond in worship because of the peace that your son Christ has given to us. And it's in his name we pray, amen.